Not too long ago, I heard about a couple who made the decision that it was finally time to buy a new vehicle. Unfortunately, they could not agree on what vehicle to buy. The husband was dead set on buying a black Ford F-150. He had always dreamed of owning that truck, especially since the days of his youth. Unfortunately, this was a dream that his wife did not share. Her dream car was a silver Porsche 911 Carrera. And as you can imagine, this caused a great deal of tension and hostility in the home. So much so that one afternoon after another heated debate about which vehicle to buy, the wife decided to offer an ultimatum. She said to her husband, she said, listen, my birthday's coming up in two days. And if you don't surprise me with something that is shiny and silver and goes from zero to 180 in under six seconds, your life's going to be pretty miserable around here. Well, on her birthday, when she woke up and she discovered a beautifully wrapped package next to her, she was certain that her threat worked. On top of that package was a card that read, Sweetheart, I hope you will always treasure this gift that is shiny and silver and goes from zero to 180 in less than six seconds. Now, it was a little bit heavy and it was a little big, but she was just absolutely certain that in that package were keys to her dream car. That is not what was there. This instead is what she unwrapped. Okay, in every marriage, there are decisions that are made that can lead to a major rift in the relationship. The first century world in Asia Minor. One of those decisions was a wife deciding on her very own that she was going to be a follower of Jesus. You say, why was that such a big deal? It was a big deal because it was the right and the responsibility of a husband to decide which gods the family would choose to worship and serve. So for a wife to say, you know what, I'm not going to adopt the gods of my husband, that was considered to be dismissive, if not outright rebellious. Now, that was not only a slap in the face to her husband, that, that could also cause a great deal of harm to his social standing. It was not unusual for a man in that particular situation to miss out on particular honors or offices because the greater society would look at that guy and say, you know what, that's a guy that can't manage his own household. And not only that, but it was also believed that a woman who made this type of decision not to adopt the gods of the empire, that she was in turn putting her family and society at risk. The thought was that the gods of the empire would eventually exact revenge for being rejected. And so guess who got the brunt of the blame when some unexpected tragedy struck the family or society, when a child got sick in the home or a famine struck the land? Now I say all this to say to you this morning or to help you understand, the point is simply this. Is that when a woman made the decision to launch out on her own to be a follower of Jesus, it created a great deal of tension and hostility in that particular home. 
And this morning as we continue our study of Peter's letter, 1 Peter, we find him addressing women who were living in that type of situation. And Peter knew that the very best thing that could happen for her marriage and for her family and even for society was for somehow her unbelieving husband to be won over to Jesus Christ. However, Peter also knew this probably wouldn't happen with words, at least not initially. That this woman is probably not going to be able to argue, debate, or manipulate her husband into belief. What they could do, though, was live their life in such a way that their husbands would eventually be drawn to faith in Jesus. And so Peter writes to women in this particular situation in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1b and 2. If any of them, speaking of husbands, do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Peter believed deeply in the proclamation of the gospel, but he knew the very best apologetic a wife could offer her unbelieving husband was a well-lived life. Peter understood that eventually some of these men would be so moved by the example of a woman who was so devoted to Jesus Christ that she continually made righteous decisions, be so moved by that that eventually he himself would find Jesus absolutely irresistible. And he too would become a follower of Jesus Christ. So in this text, Peter calls women, regardless of the situation they found themselves in life, to make this their priority. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self. What's Peter saying? Is he chastising women for shopping at Nordstrom's? Is he forbidding manis and petties and a little bit of bling? It is he saying that women should not be concerned about their physical beauty or appearance. And that's not his point at all. The point Peter is making is that what a person or who a person is on the inside is of far greater importance than what they look like on the outside. Now, is that an easy perspective to keep? No, it is not. It's especially not in a Kardashian culture, a culture in which you can get famous and rich based on simply looking good. But it's still true. What Peter writes is true. Who you are on the inside is of far greater importance than what you look like on the outside. And we know that to be true. Because we know we've had this experience of looking at a person who is absolutely stunning. I mean, drop dead gorgeous, but then you get to know that person or you get to know something about that person and you figure out, you know what, this person's a little bit of a jerk and they're not quite as good looking to you anymore, are they? Now on the flip side, we also know people who by society's standards, you wouldn't call them physically beautiful. But the more that you get to know that person, that person's character and that person's personality, they become extremely attractive to you because of who they are on the inside. 
And let me remind you of something else that is true about physical beauty. That is, it will inevitably fade. Now, I know you don't want to hear this this morning. But if you are over the age of 30, you are on the downside of your physical attractiveness peak. (laughs) You will never look as good as you once did. All right? Now, men, if you just leaned over to your wife and said, that's not true, you're just as gorgeous as you have ever been, good for you. That's exactly what you should have done this morning. If you didn't, wake up for Pete's sakes, would you? I just threw a softball out there to you to score some major points, and you've wasted it this morning. Now, hopefully that is true, that you can say to your wife, you're just as gorgeous as you have ever been. But here's the reality of life. You can run six miles a day. You can stick to a vegan diet. You can drink kale juice, six gallons of it every week, but gravity is eventually going to win. Skin is going to wrinkle, and hair is going to grow in places that it shouldn't. That's just the reality of life. You say, well, what about inner beauty? Can it fade? Yes, it can, but here's the good news. It doesn't necessarily have to. In fact, you become, it can become more and more beautiful on the inside every single year. It's possible, but it's not guaranteed. It requires a lot of effort. And this is the real challenge behind what Peter says to these Christian women. As much time, if not more, should be spent beautifying the inside as the outside. Now, how much time did first century women spend on uh, primping? I have no idea. But knowing that physical beauty was just as prized then as it is today, I believe that they spent every bit as much time primping as women do today. And so how much time does the average woman spend getting ready today? Any guesses? An hour? Okay, you're dead on. Yeah, according to one study, the average woman spends 55 minutes a day. I want you to listen to this quote from Women's Health Magazine. If you add up all the time women spend on self-grooming over the course of 12 months, it comes out to about 335 hours. That's 14 full days spent primping per person per year on average. That's a good bit of time. What about the financial cost of looking good? Well, another study indicates that the average woman will spend, on average, $15,000 on makeup in her lifetime. That's a lot of money. But now throw in all of the finances just to fix their hair and do their nails and waxing and lifting and shaping and fashion and all that, and you're talking about some serious green, right? There is a lot of money spent on looking good. And as Peter's point is he's saying, hey, you're spending way too much money on looking good. Is that, that the issue here? Well, whether a woman does or doesn't spend that much money, that, that's not his point at all. Peter's concern is whether or not his woman is spending more time and money on the outside than she is on trying to become godly. This text is not a prohibition. But really, it's a challenge to reorder one's priorities. You see, something's out of whack if a woman spends 55 minutes a day on looking good on the outside, but only five minutes a day on those things that will truly change her on the inside. Reading scripture, 
prayer, meditating, journaling, serving others. This is the issue. And Peter is calling women to make the inside, their inner beauty, their absolute priority. So what makes a woman beautiful on the inside? Well, Peter mentions several characteristics that are attractive to most husbands. But not only to husbands, he points out in verse 4 that God himself values these character qualities. And the quality that he begins with is the quality that he's been emphasizing throughout this section of the letter. Listen to what he writes in 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Now, the women that Peter was addressing were clearly in the right in making the decision that we're going to choose Jesus Christ over the gods of the empire, even though it may adversely affect the status of my husband. But Peter also understood that an ongoing spirit of rebellion, fighting for leadership in the home, that was probably going to do more harm than good. And so what Peter does is he says, these women you need to exhibit a spirit of submission instead of challenging all the time. And Peter holds up this great example of a woman of faith by the name of Sarah as to how women should relate to their husbands. He writes in verse 5 and 6, For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. If you read the story of Abraham and Sarah, you know that Sarah was her own person. She had her own thoughts and own opinions, her own feelings. You also know that she wasn't afraid to express those. But at the same time, Sarah was the type of person who, out of respect to to her husband, she did her very best to love and honor him. And she didn't necessarily always agree with him and the decisions that he made, but at the same time, she supported his role as the leader of their family. Was this always easy for Sarah to do? Of course not. Because like every man who's ever existed, Abraham was prone to make some idiotic decisions in life. In fact, we see this throughout the story. For example, on one particular occasion, Abraham put his wife Sarah in a potentially compromising sexual situation when he made the decision to lie to a foreign king. He said, this woman, she's my sister, instead of saying, this woman is my wife. And you, you ask, how in the world could she submit to a man who made such lousy decisions at times, who was such a buffoon at times, well, Peter tells us this, that Sarah was able to do this because her hope and trust was not in her husband, it was in God. And that right there is the key to submission in every type of relationship. Whether it is submitting to an abusive government or an unfair boss or a clueless husband. One does not have to rule, direct, or manipulate her husband when she's confident that God has her back. I think this is what the well-known author and speaker Beth Moore is alluding to when she writes this to wives. Submission is ducking, 
so that God can punch my husband. <laughs> That's not only funny, but it's true. And man, we better remember that. We better remember that God will do whatever he needs to do to get our attention if we are not treating our spouse or relating to our spouse in the way that God desires for us to. In just a moment, we'll talk about how men are to relate to their wives. But Peter has a little bit more to say about what makes a woman beautiful. In fact, in verse 4, he mentions a couple other qualities, beautiful qualities, that make a woman attractive and that she should exhibit. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3 and 4. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Peter encourages women to have a gentle spirit. Do not equate that with being weak. Uh, gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness actually is its power, its strength under control. It's being considerate and kind instead of harsh. A gentle wife is one who makes the decision that she's not going to blast her husband when he comes home from the grocery store with the wrong items. I guess you've been there, Ming. I'm not sure. I, I, I don't want to say anything or cause conflict in the home this morning. But A gentle wife is one who encourages rather than nitpicks at her husband when he's trying to lead the family spiritually. Does a gentle wife ever challenge her husband? Of course she does. But she does it in a way that does not leave him feeling like he's been chewed up and spit out by a junkyard dog. And not only should a woman be gentle, but she should have a quiet spirit. What's that mean? Well, what Peter's really encouraging is that women should watch um, how they say things. No, that's not exactly that. He's not even encouraging women to watch their word count or tune down their volume. What he is encouraging is for women uh, to avoid a cantankerous, grumbling spirit. It's hard for a man to see the grace and goodness of God if his wife is always complaining about her lot in life. And so Peter's encouraging women to tune down their dissatisfactions. That's what Peter's getting at. And so let me just kind of sum it up. You can put on a beautiful designer dress and probably turn the head of your husband. But it's a kind, cooperative, supportive spirit that actually has the best chance of moving your husband towards Christ and creating peace in your home. Now, since there were also some men, husbands in this society who were also followers of Jesus Christ, Peter took a moment to say a few words to them about how they should relate to their wives. And he says this in verse 7, Husbands, in the same way, and let's stop right there for just a moment. Husbands, you should relate to your wives in the same way as, as who or what, as wives relate to their husbands. Well, yes, that's true, but really what Peter is doing at this particular point is pointing husbands back to the example of Christ. An example he pointed out in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 
In the same way that Christ suffered for all of humanity for their benefit, a godly husband, a, a, a spiritual husband, is making the decision, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to sacrifice for the good of my wife. Husbands, if, if you want to be the type of leader who is worth following, then first and foremost, you must make the decision to die to yourself. You see, submission really isn't an issue when a person can trust that you have the family's best interest at heart rather than trying to get your own way. And so that's where he begins, but let's go ahead and continue because he goes on to say, husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. The word that's translated considerate is, it's an interesting term or word. It literally means according to knowledge. The ESV does a better job of capturing this. First Peter chapter three, verse seven in the ESV is translated like this. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Peter is impressing upon men the necessity of understanding what makes your wife tick. He's saying, men, I want you to be a student of your wife. I want you to truly understand who she is what she's all about. Now, scholars indicate that that phrase, as you live with, specifically refers to sexual intercourse. And so Peter is saying, I want you to live in an understanding way of your, of your wife's sexual needs, but on a broader scale, he's saying, I, I want you to, to understand her in every way. Old joke is this, that the women are impossible to understand, but men, what I would say to you this morning is this, is your wife doesn't want to remain a mystery to you. She wants to be known. And so the challenge I have for you this week is this, men. I want to encourage you to take your spouse out on a date for the express purpose of learning something new about her. Here's some questions you might ask her. What is it that you want me to know about you that I don't already know? What have you read in Scripture recently that's captured your heart? What's causing you stress right now? Men, you're just looking at me. You should be writing these down, okay? <laughs> Trying to help you out here. What's causing you stress? What's bringing you joy? What's something in life that you desire? What are you praying about? Now, ladies, I'm going to ask a big favor of you. No matter how awkward and clumsy your husband is when he asks these questions, do not laugh at him. <laughs> if you want him to do this again, you need to be kind, you need to be gracious, you need to be engaged, you need to be honest in your responses. Don't act like you're protecting government secrets when he asks these questions, okay? He wants to know you. Be willing to share who you are with him. And then finally, Peter says to husbands, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Don't miss this, men. Your connection to God is going to be impacted by whether or not you treat your spouse with respect. Make sure you understand that. Your connection to God is impacted by whether or not you treat your spouse with respect. 
God will not put up with you mistreating your wife. You must respect her, lift her up, and cherish her. After all, Peter says she is the weaker partner. Now, please understand what Peter's talking about there is physical strength. He's not speaking about emotional strength or spiritual strength or intellectual strength. And I hesitate in even saying physical strength because I know some of you women could snap me in two like a dried up twig. But by and large, men possess more physical strength. I like the way some commentators or scholars illustrate this. They say this, men, treat your wife like she is a piece of fine china. I like the way Trey Dobbs challenges men to live this out. He writes, men, don't treat your wife like she is a college buddy. Don't make your wife the brunt of all your jokes or put her in a headlock to give her a a few noogies. You honor her, you treasure her, You roll out the red carpet for her. When she comes home, get off the couch and meet her at the door. She's valuable. I like that. And notice Peter gives a second reason that the women should be cherished. He writes, wives are heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Man, your wife is your spiritual equal. Uh, She has been saved by Christ, she is filled by the Holy Spirit, and she has direct access to God just like you do. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Husbands, your wife is your spiritual partner, not your intern, so treat her as such. All right, so here's the challenge walking out of a message like this. You're going to be challenged to walk into the parking lot and think about all the different ways that you wish your spouse would change. You're going to be thinking about the things that you wish she would have heard this morning or he would have heard this morning. Please don't do that. When you leave this morning, you think about how the Holy Spirit needs to change you. One of the best ways to hear from the Holy Spirit is to simply ask the person you are in relationship with, how can I grow? How can I be more of the husband that you deserve? Or how can I be more of the wife that God wants me to be? Now, this can be a little bit overwhelming, perhaps, but hey, pursue growth anyway. It will be worth it. Because the more beautiful we become from the inside out, the more peace we'll have in our homes.